Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and once again, it's mailbag time. Alex, what are we getting into today? Well, we're going to talk about where the Knicks' last two draft picks worth of draft will go in a redraft. I don't know. That's really confusing to say. But we're talking about Quentin Crimes, Emmanuel Quickly, Obi, Sims, and McBride, where they go in redrafts. We're going to talk about with the Donovan Mitchell trade, how far away are the Knicks from contention if they make said trade? Of course, we have to talk about the return and all that stuff, too, and what's going out. And then we talk about whether the Knicks are going about things the right way right now. Are they being impatient by even looking at Donovan Mitchell and repeating the mistakes of the past? We'll talk about all that next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, and we want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day we are now available on all platforms, including on YouTube. And you know that if you're seeing our smiling faces, but whose smiling faces? Are you seeing I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster? He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of, I'll say it, the greatest Knicks website out there, The Strickland. You can check them out on all social media at thestrick.land. This is Locked on Knicks, and Alex, I'm so, so happy. Uh, it is mailbag time once again, and there is only one place we can start with the creator, composer, originator of our theme song, uh, Mimar Sinan a.k.a. the Stormbringer, a.k.a. your old pal. He, he actually is our old pal, so it works out well. That's his handle. Um, you can follow him at Mimar Sinan Music. Please, please, please throw our guy a follow. He is just a fantastic dude who has been on this podcast, and uh, if you can tell by our intro, very, very good at what he does. And he wants to know, if you guys have time, where do Grimes, IQ, OB, Sims, and McBride go in redrafts? I suspect most, if not all of them, still very young, mid to late first round picks. Shouldn't you chose requests of multiple picks be offset by this fact? The kids they want are kind of first rounders, though. Alex, I did the exercise. I can't confirm they are mid first round picks or maybe a little higher, but, but where do you have all these guys? Yeah, well, so I'll read off I'll read off your well, actually, you know what? Here, why don't you read off your ranking and I'll okay. tell you where where I stand on these. That works. Okay. All right. So I, I did the full thing, right? And I was I was a little worried that I'm probably slightly biased just because I watch these guys so much more than some of the other young players in the class. But I did my best to balance that out. So we can start with the most recent draft, 2021, that had three of these guys. I had, uh, in, in approximate order, Kate Cunningham, Jalen Green, Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley, Franz Wagner, Josh Giddy, Jonathan Kuminga, Moses Moody, Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, and then our guy Quentin Grimes going ahead, maybe controversial, um, ahead of Trey Mann, who is really good for the Thunder, Bones Highland, who is certainly more impressive as a scorer, Josh Primo, who is really good and is just like two years younger than Grimes and pretty much everyone in that draft, um, Alper and Sengun, that's the most interesting one. I have some questions about his defense. And Ayo uh, Desunmu, who is a little bit more famous for the Chicago Bulls, but I have a feeling Grimes will ultimately be the better player. And then I threw BJ Boston in there as well because he's pretty good for the Clippers. But Alex, I ultimately have, let me let me do some quick math here, two, four, six, eight, ten. I have Quentin Grimes going 11th in a redraft. How does that feel to you? 
Yeah, I think I did you say Zaire Williams when you were going through that too? I, I did. Had... Yeah, I had him yeah. going uh oh, I did not write him down here, but I did at one point. He he's yeah, he, he should was, be he, on your he, Twitter list, he was between Kuminga and Moses movie. So I, I, I added him him in on the list because yeah. I realized I forgot him. All right, yeah, so so twelve for Zimes. Yeah, I would potentially I mean if we're talking about two, four, six, eight, ten, I I would potentially have Grimes going as high as 10 on your list. I mostly agree with it though. I mean, I think I'm a little more sold on Grimes than like Herb Jones. I think the Herb Jones hype has gotten a little crazy if I'm being honest. Um, and Trey Murphy as well. You know, I know that they both, uh, they both are on the Pelicans who made their little Cinderella run and whatever, but ultimately the Knicks were better than that team. And it's not all thanks to Quentin Grimes, but you know, I think that if we're going to give like, Herb Jones and and Trey Murphy, you know, I feel like they're getting a lot of the credit for New Orleans being as good as they were this past year or, you know, making the play in basically. And then, and then, you know, advancing their way to the playoffs through it. And, you know, again, the the Knicks did actually, despite having a disappointing year, finish better than the Pelicans this year. So I don't really think the like team success is a huge barometer here for me. I do think that Grimes, particularly after summer league, I feel Pretty, and, you know, we, I've seen people in our YouTube comments or whatever being like, you guys are overrating Grimes, like, you know, after just Summer League and stuff. Yes and no. Like, you know, I, I think that the Knicks, as we were talking about with Benji, do a good job of of using the Summer League to sort of test things with their, their marquee young players or the guys that they want to be marquee young players. And I think that's what they did with Grimes this year. They gave him more reps, you know, with the ball in his hands. And he showed a pretty good amount of poise and, you know, craft as far as what he can do with the ball in his hands. So I I think that that's going to be a a separator for him between Herb Jones and Trey Murphy. So, you know, I I definitely see what you're talking about, especially with the age, like Cade, Jalen, Scotty, Mobley, Franz, Giddy, Kuminga, Zaire Williams, Moses Moody, for sure. I mean, they're all just so young. You know, and, and they still have so much potential. Moses Moody maybe didn't show as much in year one as Quentin Grimes, but he literally played for the NBA champion. Same with Jonathan Kuminga, but they both showed so many bursts of, you know, potentially elite talent that, you you know, you can't write them off because of how young they are, you know, compared to Grimes and, and how much more room they have to grow. So I, I think I'm sitting about 10. You know, I, I think he could probably go 10th and I, I don't have any problem with, keeping him above guys like man bones highland josh primo shangun uh especially ao Dusumu and you know like that so i i think most of your list is pretty good i might just put him ahead of the two pelicans guys yeah i think the only counter argument i make is like herb jones was like first team all rookie for a reason like i i just like elite def- like grimes is going to be really really good defensively herb jones i think has a chance to make multiple first team all defenses career and his shot started looking better counter argument is he's something like uh, almost two years older than Quentin Grimes is so there's a chance Grimes is that good or better at the same age and Murphy to Benji's point like the Grimes six five Murphy six seven very similar profiles as elite shooters Murphy was also right around 40 percent from three Murphy also came in and dominated summer league so that was that was my thinking but I'm I could be I could be talked out because I love Quentin Grimes. I think an objective observer looking at this, Sengun would be the one that people took the most issue with. Like if we had Jackson Gatlin on right now, host of Locked on Rockets, he'd be yelling his head off. Uh, Sengun, I think, has the chance to 
averaged like an efficient 24 points per game in his prime. But he just strikes me as someone who is always going to have trouble staying on the floor in the playoffs. While Grimes is, is kind of a consummate guy that you'll be able to play 35 minutes per game in any playoff series at any point in the next 10 years or so. And he'll be a plus player. So that's why I like Grimes. Uh, I, I didn't I didn't carry out this full exercise with Sims and Deuce and draft out the entire first round because after the top 15 or so, I honestly started to lose track of how good those rookies were. But very quickly, I had Sims going probably somewhere in the early 20s. You could talk me into like right behind like everyone I had ahead of Quentin Grimes, but right around there feels right for Sims just because of his age. Um, and then Deuce, I think right at the end of the first round, I'd argue just because of his G League play, he probably improved his stock a little bit relative to some of these guys who just didn't do anything their rookie years. But then maybe not that he was terrible in summer league, but some of the lack of improvement in terms of his ability to get all the way to the rim would cap uh, Deuce from going higher. But Alex, would you would you disagree on either of those two? Uh, not really. I mean, I actually would maybe have Sims a little lower, um, mostly just due to like the, I, I think that he would be more towards where Deuce and Rokas got drafted in a redraft, like early second round. I still think the teams would look at him and be like, is he going to be more than like, maybe at his best, a starting center in the league at some point. And you know, how much is that worth to us? Is that worth a top, you know, 25 pick or whatever? Is that worth even a, a first round pick? Because, you know, ultimately he's, that would mean you'd have to give him the guaranteed contract from day one, which I don't know if, you know, I, I think the teams would want to go the route the Knicks did still and see if they could get him on a two way to start things off and, you know, just see how things go. Uh, but, you know, knowing what we know now, obviously, I think it's it's pretty clear that he's at least going to be backup center material uh, for his career, which does hold some value. But with the the limited value of centers now and his he's not a backup center that can stretch the floor. I, I don't know that he would go much higher than about early second round, especially because he's like, I think at this point now he's going to be like 24 going into next season or something like he's only very slightly younger than like Obi Toppin even though it feels like based off his skill set and his his youthfulness, you know, that he looks very youthful. It seems like he's only like, you know, 19 years old, but he's he's actually quite a bit older than that. Uh, as far as Deuce, I think he, he would be the one that I think would maybe go in the 25 to 30 range. I think that was where he would have gone on draft night anyway, had he not positioned himself towards the Knicks. Like I think the Knicks zeroed in on him and he zeroed in on the Knicks in many ways. Um, I do think that he showed enough like through the G League and stuff and also just his impact metrics, you know, like the just the crazy uh, net rating of him and quickly on the floor together. You know, that just shows that like even if this kid isn't scoring the ball, he's making huge impacts by how great of a defender he can be. Um, I think that maybe that would be a swing factor for him. Uh, but Gavin, we can get into the uh, the. 2020 draft and where we would have quickly and OB going speaking of those two in just a moment but I did just want to remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by betonline.net betonline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds lines and games find reviews and news of every league including major league baseball the NFL NBA NHL combat sports esports and even golf BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting scores and podcasts. They have you covered. And I, of course, you know, I'm always checking these Mets lines and it it is Mets Yankees right now. Max Scherzer taking the hill for the Mets. 
Mets are going to be minus one and a half favorites, one and a half runs favorites tonight against the Yankees. I'm taking that because uh, I think Scherzer's going to do it. I'm like 50-50 on whether my Scherzer predictions have worked out lately. So, you know, take my word for it this time. The Mets are going to come out winning again, take a commanding 2 nothing series lead, and obviously the most important series oh. for both teams. <laughs> Not even an important series. No, I only consider this series important when the Mets are winning it. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. Bet Online, where the game starts. And with that, Gavin, we're back to talk more redraft here. Uh, I'm going to throw it to you because you've got, you know, again, you've got the nicely written out lists. So where are you at with the 2020 draft and trying to replace uh, IQ and Obi and their draft class? And let's uh, let's roll through this. I, I struck immediately that I like the 2021 draft much better than the 2020 draft. But uh, I have Anthony Edwards going first, uh, LaMelo, LaMelo Ball second, Tyrese Halliburton third, uh, Tyrese Maxey fourth, Desmond Bain fifth, Jaden McDaniel sixth, Devin Vassell Seventh, Patrick Williams. Eighth, Sadiq Bay. Ninth, and then our guy Emmanuel Quickly at tenth. Um, Onyeka Okongwu at eleventh. Obi Toppin at twelfth, and then uh, the honorable mentions who could be in the mix there: Precious Achua, Cole Anthony, who I don't particularly like as a player, but I, I forgot just went on a heater to start last season, and then uh, Denny Avdia also in that conversation. I might have missed someone. But Alex, do you do you feel like that is approximately right? I would certainly be open to hearing the case for Okongwu uh, going ahead of someone like Quickly. But as you know, I just I love Emmanuel Quickly. Yeah, well, I actually, I mean, I would actually have some guys going higher if I'm being honest. Okay. Yeah, um, so, I, you know, I like the top of it mostly. You know, Anthony Edwards, Lamelo in some order. I mean, I think I probably prefer Lamelo, but he's just more my my archetype of player. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, either way, both really good players. Uh, Halliburton, you know, I think that much to our chagrin, you know, we wanted to have IQ work out better than him. I think so far Halliburton is, is working out better. Uh, Maxi, same deal. And then Desmond Bain, yeah, you know, efficient 18 point per game or whatever score, whatever he averages here. McDaniels, you know, great Swiss Army knife. Vassell is one that I maybe take a little bit of exception to. I don't know. I mean, I do understand that, you know, much like what we were talking about with with Grimes, he is sort of like the uh, the archetype that you want in the the NBA. And that was part of why we wanted Devin Vassell to be drafted instead of Obi at draft time. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I do think a little bit that he hasn't necessarily knocked my socks off so far in his time in the NBA and like. Unlike IQ and Obi, he's been given plenty of opportunity. Like he had 17 minutes per game his rookie year, averaged 27 minutes a game this past year, was still only shooting 43%, 36% from three. Um, you know, averaged 12 points, four boards, not quite two assists. You know, and his defensive impact is always going to be great, um, which is part of what made him appealing as a, you know, as a player to begin with. But uh, uh, I, I guess the people outside your apartment don't enjoy. Them. Yeah, I, I hired some people. If you said anything bad about Devin Vassell, they 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 were told to do that. <laughs> Honk the horns, man, jerks. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I think I would maybe move him below Patrick Williams just because of the uh, Patrick Williams. I still think is uh, is 
holding on to that like youthfulness yeah. you know that, that's fair that, that's totally fair yeah yeah like he's still got so much potential just based off his age now like if patrick yeah williams... I'll, I'll throw this out there like patrick mm-hmm. williams was holding up a rudy gobert trade i don't think devin Vassell would have held up a rudy gobert trade so that's exactly. it, it's a fair point yeah exactly so i think i would flip-flop those two and then sadiq bay i think i'd put below sadiq bay and, and onyeko kongwa i think i would put below both iq and obi i think i'll put iq and obi right after Devin Vassell there. And it would be a pretty small margin between those two. I just think with Bay, you know, I understand he had, he, he averaged like 16 points a game this year, but the dude shot 40% overall as a wing. Uh, he was like and, like 37% on threes though. Let me, I'll, I'll confirm right. that. But he was, he wasn't, he wasn't like, like look at IQ though. Like IQ was what, 39% from the field last year. Right. But I think you got to look at the difference between what their roles were, right? Like yeah. Bay is not a, a self-creator. And I think that's one of the big differences here. I also think one of the only differences between Bay and like IQ and Obi is opportunity. You know, he's been given the freedom to just play 30 minutes and make mistakes and everything on the Pistons. And IQ and Obi have not gotten anything close to that. You know, I Obi still struggles to find, you know, 15 minutes a game behind Julius Randle in his second season. So, I mean, he averaged literally 17 minutes a game this past year, and that was buoyed by, you know, a, a big, uh, uh, you know, influx of playing time right at the end of the year. So I, I kind of – I think that I would put Bay below them just because I could see higher ceilings for IQ and Obi. Now I, I'm sort of like going against my own points by saying that Obi's that high with the draft age thing and like how much better he could be, but – I do think that Obi, unlike a guy like Sims or something, um, does have sort of a weird basketball trajectory where, you know, things have gone at a very different rate for him. Like him coming out of college is, uh, you know, at the age that he did, it was almost more like he was like a sophomore or something. Like his whole progression curve has just been really late. He's like the yeah. most late bloomery, late bloomer ever. Uh, as far as how his high school and college journey went and everything. So, you know, I, I still give him more points for being able to get better than most guys that are going to be like 24 going into their their third season. Um, so that's why I have him higher. And IQ, I just think, you know, the self-creation and all that stuff, plus what we saw at the end of the year, I, I think do enough to push him ahead of a guy like Bay for me. And then Okongwu, like, it's I, I understand he's a better player, but it's sort of a similar thing to uh, what we're talking about with uh, with Sims or what I was talking yeah. about with Sims, where it's like, yeah, he could be a really good center and a really good starter, but like, what is he offering you that is like a game-bending, you know, skill in the current NBA? And I don't know if there is anything for that. I think that it's sort of just like, okay, well, he can eventually be a good starting center, but like even some of the best starting centers that we've seen, like, Miami is thinking about trading Bam out of bio, for example. You know, they've at least entertained the offers at this point, uh, according to reports now, because guys like that, which is what Okongwu profiles to be at his best, potentially just they could be great, but maybe not necessarily push the needle far enough in current playoff basketball to, to you know, make you a actual contender. Um, so I, I wonder how teams would prioritize a guy like Obi versus Okongwu, even with the draft age difference and everything else, based off what we've seen so far, I think Obi offers more in terms of like a modern NBA archetype. 
Yeah, that's totally fair. I think my, my logic is I think Okongwu has a chance to be an elite defender. Um, but to your point, maybe there's if, if you think Obi can score 20 points per game in the NBA, then uh, he, he could definitely uh, profile ahead of him. Uh, Sadiq Bey, I would not trade Emmanuel quickly or Obi Toppin for Sadiq Bey. I think that's more of an acknowledgement that he just he's, he's done it like he's been just a more productive NBA player. He's been a starter. Again, a lot of that could be situational. Um, so I was maybe maybe curbing my own bias too much there. Um, what do you think about Emmanuel real quick? Because I know we, we got to take a quick break. But what do you think about Emmanuel quickly versus uh, Cole Anthony? Because I think a lot of neutral observers, again, would say, well, pretty similar players. Anthony was like slightly more productive with you. I, to be clear, IQ was more efficient. But Anthony averaged like I think more points and assists and rebounds per 36 minutes. Anthony is like clearly a better athlete, especially around the rim. Uh, IQ is a much better shooter. To me, I just I watch Cole Anthony play and I see someone who like as much as people say quickly isn't a point guard. I feel that way stronger, honestly, about Cole Anthony. Like he's really someone who hunts for his own shot um, and quickly, I think, strikes a very good balance of those two things. And, and maybe that's my bias showing through. But I think the two guys I had behind these two quickly over um, Cole and then uh, Obi over Precious Achua, who, again, for a playoff team in Toronto, played a role and, and nailed threes and was was very good defensively. Um, do you think that's some bias on my part, or do you think those two are fair? No, I think those two are fair. You know, and I might be being biased, too. Sure. <laughs> yeah. have maybe, to, maybe not we, the best person to ask. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll rope Sean Woodley in here real quick. But, but I think, I mean, as far as Cole Anthony, again, I just think it's a difference of opportunity. You know, he's been given the opportunity to be Cole Anthony for better or worse. You know what I mean? Like Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin have had to deal with having Tibbs as their coach and having to scratch and claw for every minute and be ultra scrutinized for every mistake and everything else. I mean, if Cole Anthony got yanked for every like bad defensive rotation or bad shot that he took or whatever under Tibbs, he would have played like 10 minutes a game his first two years because Tibbs would have gone nuts, you know, because he would have been like, what the hell is this kid doing? You know, quickly has had to learn to be a much more refined player. And maybe I guess that's the weird benefit of having like a drill sergeant like Tibbs as your coach that, you know, seems to make the younger players like really work for their minutes is that, you know, you don't run into scenarios where guys are, um, I guess like just being given minutes, just like on a tanking team and just saying, whatever, go have fun with it. Uh, and it leads to better refinement of them. Same thing for Obi versus Precious. Like, I think Obi provides great defense too, um, but also probably provides more on offense with his cutting and his finishing around the rim, his legitimate ability to get the ball on the perimeter and like put it on the floor himself and drive it in and finish at the rim, I think is really great. And that's going to be something that's going to benefit him as his career goes on. The burgeoning three point shooting, which we saw like as soon as he was given the freedom, again, it's this all just comes down to freedom. But like once he was given the freedom to play and not have to be ultra scrutinized towards the end of the season, all of a sudden that three point stroke came around when he wasn't always looking over his shoulder. You know, I, I think I definitely give Obi the nod over Precious as well. So I, I don't think that's like too biased or anything. All right. I'll, I'll take the compliment. But when we come back, uh, we are talking uh, how far away the Knicks are from contention pending a Donovan Mitchell trade and whether or not the Knicks are accelerating the timeline too fast that right now on Locked on Knicks. All right, guys, we are back on Locked on Knicks. Two final mailbag questions to get through. Uh, this one comes from Nick at NickTess01. He said, assuming we do trade for Mitchell, 
how far are we away from contention? One top ten player or more than that, Alex? I feel like this is uh, this this could be a week worth of podcasts uh, down the road if the Knicks do trade for Goddard and Mitchell. But for now, trying to answer it succinctly, uh, what's what's your quick take on that one? Yeah, I would say I don't know about a top ten player, but again, you know that uh, trying to get into those rankings, I feel like is always a fool's errand because it's all about fit, right? So the Knicks could find another top 20 quote unquote player and, you know, have that player fit just right with Mitchell and RJ and, you know, Mitch and Brunson and whatever, and have that work out perfectly. And and then, you know, potentially be a title contender. We've seen it happen before, you know, where it's like some teams do just kind of figure that out. Um, That said, I, I think they're probably at least one more top 20 player away from like actual serious contention. Like if we want to look at a team that is a similar in a similar space, you know, as far as like talent distribution and stuff, maybe like the Miami heat uh, where it's like, okay, what, what number player is Jimmy Butler in the league? I think a lot of people will probably say just outside the top 10, you know, or something like that. Uh I don't know if that's fair or not. You know, maybe he is just inside the top 10. But, you know, you figure if Mitchell can figure out his defense, you know, and start contributing on that end again on with a change of scenery, he could potentially give you the same type of impact as a Jimmy Butler. So then it's like, okay, well, how many other players of, you know, a higher caliber do you need around him to make that work? You already have RJ Barrett, who if he continues his ascension could maybe turn into like a I don't know, top 40, top 30 player in the league. Um, You have Brunson, who's ascending as well. So if he, you know, proves that what he did in the playoffs was more his new norm than, you know, his regular season last year, then maybe he turns into that sort of guy. Um, You know, they they might even just have it on the roster. But uh, otherwise, I think, you know, they probably need at least one other top 20 guy. It would probably be someone at the center or power forward position. All love to Mitch and Obi uh, or I guess Randall, but... Um, you know, you would have to, I think, shore up that position with like another elite player and maybe the Knicks find someone else in trade or, uh, maybe they, you know, manage to nab a free agent when the cap jumps or something like that. But that might be the difference of turning them into like, um, you know, a legitimate contender like that. So I think that's, that's my overall take on that, but I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I think, um, you can't win a championship with Donovan Mitchell as the best player on your team and maybe he gets... 10 to 20% better. And I could be wrong on that. He's still just 25 years old. There's, there's a world where that happens. But um, I, I think Jonathan Macri of Knicks film school did a good job breaking this down in his newsletter where he just looked at if like in recent NBA history, has any team won a title with a player as poor defensively as Mitchell as their best player. And then the two cases were Steph Curry in 2015 before he made a jump defensively, which again, Mitchell more than capable of doing. Um, and then Dirk Nowitzki in 2011. And in both those cases, I think you're looking at teams who, well, one, both those guys are just flat out better offensive players than Mitchell is right now. And Mitchell's really, I would say Mitchell's a top 10 offensive player on planet earth. Those two guys at the times they won the title were top two or three offensive players on planet earth. And then two, they just had elite defensive infrastructures around them. Like, uh, Dirk had Tyson Chandler, Sean Marion, um, old but uh, still uh, savvy Jason Kidd. And then we all know um, Steph had Harrison Barnes, Andre Wadala, Draymond Green. So that, that's kind of what it takes to win around a Mitchell-esque player if he's your best player. 
So to me, the first step in winning a championship is Donovan Mitchell cannot be your best player. He has to be a, a very overqualified second best player. And for that to happen, um, one of RJ, IQ, Obi, or Grimes, whoever you end up keeping in the Mitchell trade, has to hit near all-star status because I think that's the only way you are you are trading for a top 10 guy. Honestly, probably one of those guys has to be an all-star. And then you can look at something, I guess, kind of analogous to a Anthony Davis type of trade, except maybe like a little less heavy on picks and a little bit more heavy on players where you're saying, all right, we have RJ Barrett, 24 years old, uh, just made his first all-star team, averaging 25 points per game fairly efficiently. And we are going to turn him into dot, 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 a disgruntled Joel Embiid, a somehow disgruntled Nikola Jokic, Devin Booker, who wants out of Phoenix. Like you, you can go on and on and on. Like someone, may, maybe even, maybe you need someone even better than Devin Booker. I don't know. But, but, but something like that. And then for the Knicks, you have to find a way to make first a Mitchell trade, then a second trade, and still maintain your current infrastructure, which is a whole lot of above average players. So I think, I think it's two stars and then just a lot of balance, versatility, unselfishness around them. And then you, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, I have a chip in my brain that doesn't let me talk about the Knicks winning a championship, but um, <laughs> you, you, you have to, it, it, it's, it's a lot of steps, right? Because they're just like, you, you go through the NBA, like the Bucks with Giannis, the Celtics, like reloading around Tatum and Brown, maybe getting Kevin Durant. The Warriors are, I mean, man, if Kuminga and, and Moody make a jump forward, like they're going to be even better next year. Like it's really, really tough to be a quote, like to be a legitimate, like capital C contender. I, I just don't think the Knicks are anywhere close to that right now. Yeah, I you know, and maybe that leads into our next mailbag question. So let me introduce that to the fray here because I think this uh, this sort of dovetails nicely. So uh, buy low, buy low, sell high at swing underscore trade fifty five on Twitter says Knicks fans since nineteen sixty eight fans been told for decades we'll build this right through the draft, develop, be patient, not go after the first big name available. Knicks front offices just can't help themselves. Decades of losing. Now Donovan Mitchell. Can the Knicks front offices and fans be patient and draft and build? Um, so I think that sort of melds nicely with what you just posed, right? Like, like, can they become a championship contender with Donovan Mitchell? My overarching question would be like, does that really matter? Um, you know, there's so few teams that make it to the NBA championship and win it. You know, you can... Uh, the Warriors, I mean, sometimes you just run into like a dynasty like the Warriors and they win, you know, a ton of championships. Um, and this seems to happen in almost every era where there's one team that wins like an outsized number of championships uh, for an, a stretch of time just because they're so good. So that takes up about half the championships. Then there's like so few breakthrough teams, it feels like that, you know, manage to sort of go on a run like a team in the NFL does, for example, or a team in baseball, you know, it's like, I think the NBA is the, the one sport where <clears throat> thanks to the nature of the seven game series, plus like the nature of basketball where things just seem to even out more than like baseball where, you know, in baseball or even I guess in hockey to a degree, or, or maybe hockey is maybe the other good example, sort of like basketball where, you know, the talent just sort of always wins out. But like, you know, baseball, it's so much about like hot streaks and stuff, you know, that sometimes one player or one, you know, lineup or whatever just goes on a heater and, and that could propel a team all the way to the World Series or whatever. That doesn't really happen as much in basketball. Like generally the most talented team short of an injury, you know, end up winning out. And we've seen so many years now in the NBA where, um, you know, short of injuries, the two teams that we expect to be in the finals end up in the finals and the result happens that we expect this past year 
probably is an exception because I don't know if anyone at the beginning of the season would have been like Celtics Warriors. Definitely. That's definitely going to happen. Um, but like, I, I think as far as the Knicks with Mitchell, I don't necessarily know that making a move for Mitchell, of course, the final package is, is going to be telling of this. Like if they give up all of their available draft picks, which is like eight of them, um, plus all of their young players, plus, you know, some of their NBA, you know, ready players, then, okay, yeah, that's too much. And obviously they're, they're doing too much to mortgage their future, but it sounds like if that was going to be the case, that deal would have been done already. Um, so, you know, I, I think that the, when the dust settles, the Knicks will have made a calculated risk and they've essentially built through the draft for like three, four years now. And this is sort of the move you make, because I say this, you know, I haven't said this in a while, but draft picks and young players have expiration dates as far as when they stop being cost controlled young players and become NBA players that are paid what they're meant to earn. And we're already starting to see that expiration date come up on some of the Knicks young core, like RJ Barrett, who's going to get his rookie extension sometime this off season, probably, you know, he's going to end up getting that. And then all of a sudden next season, he's being paid like, you know, an NBA player for his production level or perhaps even more than his production level banking on, you know, future improvement. And, you know, that's where you have to consider these things. Like they have this great collection of young talent, but part of doing that is setting yourself up for a trade like this so that you can trade some of your young talent, trade some of these, some of the surplus of draft picks that you've built up, you know, maybe to a fault with the Knicks. You know, I still, I didn't love their draft night, you know, trading out and getting those extra first round picks, the protected ones. But if those help you get a Donovan Mitchell, then they become more valuable. And, and you know, it's it's a worthwhile gamble because that's what you make these moves for. And everything, including draft picks, has an expiration date. Like draft picks look better before they happen, generally. Because once you make the draft pick, then all of a sudden that's a player that has to produce. Uh, it's not just like a pie-in-the-sky asset that you can say, but it could be anything. It could be an all-star, you know? Um, so I, I don't think that it's skipping steps if the Knicks do this. And I also don't think it's a failure if they just put together a good team for a number of years and don't win a championship. Like, I don't think, well, I don't know. I, I, I guess we'll see based off how jazz fans ultimately react to what happens with Mitchell. But I don't think the most jazz fans would look back on the last, like half decade, roughly, you know, since they've had Mitchell and say, this was a huge failure, you know, being at the top of the Western conference, you know, not necessarily making it as far as we wanted to, but, you know, ha being a good team during the regular season, making the playoffs and making a little bit of a splash. You know, I'm sure that a lot of them probably would have preferred like a Western Conference finals trip at least. But, you know, there's something to be said for just being a good team and being fun and leaving yourself the potential to maybe elevate up to that championship status, like, say, what the Raptors did with the Kawhi trade, you know, just looking for that right move to potentially go from good team that's just really fun during the regular season and maybe struggles during the playoffs to a team that could actually win a championship. If the Knicks just found themselves in that like Raptors zone from, you know, all those years before they got Kawhi, I would not be disappointed. I think that would still be a good outcome to me.
And and the thing is, you have to get to that point to to win a championship. I mean, the Raptors had to be good for a couple of years, and then and then golden opportunity falls into their lap. Kawhi Leonard wants out, and they say, "Yeah, we're we're not winning a title anyways. Let's let's trade Demar Derozan and see what happens." And it, it look, it took an insane bounce against the Sixers, but it, it worked out for them. They won, and, and that's the thing. No matter how good you are, there is a. I mean, maybe if you're like the 2017 Warriors and you have Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, then it's, it's not about luck anymore. But for most teams, it, it is about luck, and you have to be in the conversation to uh, to be in the conversation. For, uh, maybe that doesn't make any sense. But point being, uh, you have to be good to be great. And uh, Donovan Mitchell is the way you go from very mediocre to good. And I mean, I think anyone who's listened to this podcast for a long time knows I'm about as cautious as it comes about rushing the process and repeating the same mistakes over and over again. But Donovan Mitchell's turning 26 in September. This isn't trading for an over-the-hill star. That, that's what burned the Knicks more often than not. Even the Carmelo Anthony trade, you can look back on and say, like, yeah, it sucks that they gave away, like, Gallo, who was who was going to be, I think, like, a Knicks legend, is an all-time fun Knicks player, and Wilson Chandler, plus the picks, um, plus, of course, Mozgov. Who could forget Mozgov? But in the end, like, what the failure of the Knicks was that they didn't build a good enough team around Melo. It wasn't that they acquired Melo. And I, I think the same thing about going after Donovan Mitchell. It, it's going to be on the Knicks to with whatever assets they have left to figure out the best team around him. But you look at this current team, it, it's it's fun and it's nice and it's cute. And, and I would honestly, if they, if they just play out the season, I have no issue with it. I, I think this team is going to be a blast. But to your point on RJ, once you start paying all these guys, all of a sudden you're, you're paying top dollar for a team that's probably winning 45 games and losing in the first or second round every single year. And that's, that's if RJ Barrett gets better. That's if Obi Toppin gets better. That's if Emmanuel quickly gets better. There's a definite ceiling. Or maybe not a definite ceiling, but a, but a probable ceiling on that group. Donovan Mitchell, things get a little bit more interesting. Anyways, that is it for this edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in as always. We'll be back later in the week with more mailback questions and potentially a very special guest who may or may not have played in the NBA. So look out for that later in the week. Until then, be good. We'll talk to you soon. Peace out.